Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, you are worthy. You alone are worthy. Just as this song sang, just as Psalm 103 claims, you alone are worthy. And we give you the honor and the praise and the glory that only you deserve. God, we pray that in honor, in light of your glory, in light of your worthiness, we pray that you would help us to honor you today. Help us to hear your word, to worship you, and to leave this place changed for you. So speak to us now. Change us. Change our hearts. Change our minds so that our lives can reflect you all the more. So that we can be the instrument that leads people to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you and lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, welcome. I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, if you don't have a Bible or an app with you, we have Bibles in the back of the pews. Uh, Feel free to grab one of those and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible at home, uh, please take that Bible at the end of the service that's in the back of the pew. Take it out of the back of the pew and take it home with you because we want everyone to have a Bible at their home that they can read and study and reference. Uh, So please let that be our gift to you this morning. Take that Bible with you. 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you're not sure where it's at, uh, it's in the New Testament. I'm not going to go into explaining too much because I'm just going to confuse you. If if you're not sure where it's at, the table of contents is a beautiful place to turn first. It's just a few pages in. Uh, Look for uh, the big title, the New Testament. Uh, And 1 Timothy is in that list under the New Testament. You'll find your page number there. So 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, Now, as you're turning there, let me tell you a little bit about my early seminary days. So uh, I started seminary uh, in 2005. Now, it was a very exciting season in my life. I was a newlywed. We had moved from Amarillo, Texas, uh, down to Fort Worth so that I could attend seminary uh, at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and we loved that season. Um, But one of the things I learned early on when I first started class was I was going to need a computer. Uh, if, you, if you've taken classes in the last 10 years, you know that everything in the school systems are now online. Everything's submitted via digital submission. They, professors don't accept paper uh, uh, written works anymore. You have to submit everything online. And so I was in need of a computer, and my father-in-law... Uh, gave me an old laptop that he had. Now, it was a Compaq. Do you remember the company Compaq? That's how old this computer was. Some of you don't even remember the company because it doesn't exist uh, in that form anymore. So it was an old Compaq, and I kid you not, it was about this size, but it was that thick. It was thicker than most of my textbooks. And so I was very, very thankful to have it. Um, And so I showed up to class and I'd pull out this big old brick of a laptop and set it down and 
creak that sucker open and I would start typing away on my notes and papers and everything else. And about three weeks into having that laptop, the screen started going out on me. Now, you can't use a computer without a screen. It's kind of a necessity. And so one evening in my house, I sat down at my kitchen table and I took that laptop apart. I figured out why the screen was glitching. One of the wires had gotten pinched, pinched, however you say that word, depending on what part of the country you're from. It was pinched. <laughs> I'm from Texas, all right? It was pinched. And the only way to keep that screen on was to leave the faceplate that covered the screen and all the wiring was to keep it off. And when it would glitch, I just have to reach over and just tap it or wiggle it a little bit and it'd come back on. So I would show up to class and I would open up this laptop that first off, even in that day and time, was a little bit archaic. And then I would open it up and all of my classmates behind me would <laughs> giggle because I had this Frankenstein of a laptop. Uh, fast forward about three months, I had a friend of mine who invited me to do a weekend uh, teen retreat, uh, and uh, I was blessed to go and, and teach a, a group of high school boys. And the first evening we were there, we, uh, we got through with our evening worship, and we drove to the house that we were going to stay the night at. Turns out, the guy whose house I was staying at was a, the owner of one of the largest motorcycle dealerships in Fort Worth, Texas. The guy had some money, okay? And so I, I, I got the guys, we did our small group study, they all went to bed, and I had a paper that I needed to work on, so I asked the owners of the house, hey, do you mind if I stay up and work on this paper? So I worked on the paper, uh, and the wife came walking through and went, is your computer okay? And I went, well, it's got this glitch, so I leave the face, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, oh, okay. Fast forward now, two more weeks, I get a call from this guy, and he said, hey, I'd love to take you to lunch. How about you meet me on Tuesday, blah, blah, blah. So we met up for lunch. He comes in with this big grocery bag, and he comes and he sits down, and we start talking and talking class and Bible and this and that. He was a godly, godly man, still is, does four or five major mission trips a year and funds ministries in the little town that he lives in. And towards the end of the meal, he said, Chad... I cannot in good conscience let you keep using that laptop that you're using. <laughs> and I went, I kind of felt insulted in the moment. I was like, what are you trying to say? It's getting me by. And he pulls out of this bag a laptop that he had. And he said, we've been wanting to buy a new one anyway, so hey, why don't you take our old one? It's yours. Use it. And I used that laptop the rest of my time at seminary and the first few years of my first church that I worked in out of seminary. It was a great, great computer. Now, why am I telling you this? He was so generous in the moment. He still follows up with me from time to time, two or three times a year. He will message me online and say, hey, how is ministry going? How can I pray for you? How are things uh, at your church, etc., etc.? This man exudes generosity this man serves god out of his generosity and that's what i want to focus on this morning 
is how we serve others through generosity. So let's back up. Let's do the recap that I've been doing every single Sunday through this series. We're in a series called The Unique Us. It's about why we're different from the church down the street. What makes First Southern different from every other church? Because every church is unique. And we defined our uniqueness by our mission statement. And our mission statement is leading every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. And then we clarified by saying that mission statement is accomplished by how we live out our four values. And so then we went and we've gone through and defined each of the four values. We've, we've spent sermons going through them. The first one was believe. And there's a tagline to each of the values. The tagline to believe is that God's word is the foundation to knowing, loving, and understanding him. And then the next value is grow. And growth means change and following God is moving where he takes us both personally and as a church. The third value is connect. Hope is proclaimed when we are in relationship with God, the church family, and our community. And we've spent an extended amount of time talking about how these values play out in our lives. Worship and prayer and Bible study and and the way we connect with our neighbors and our community. We've spent a long amount of time going through those areas. And today we're continuing our fourth value, which is serve. Our fourth value is serve, and here's the tagline to serve. We are committed to selflessly serving God and others in the church, community, and the world. So today, we're going to focus on serving God, others, the church, and our community through our generosity. That's our focus this morning. So what is generosity? Well, generosity is the level at which we do or do not give to others. And I'm not just talking about money. Please hear me on this. Money, of course, is part of what we're talking about, but money is not the only thing that we can be generous with. And so we have to keep in mind that generosity is anything that we give to others. But generosity may be even better defined as anything that we go above and beyond to give to others. It's that extra step, that extra little bit or big bit that we give to help others. If we want to prosper financially, mentally, emotionally, physically, we have to understand that generosity is part of that equation. Now hear me clearly on this. I am not teaching. I do not believe. The Bible does not say that if we give, God will give us money. The Bible never teaches that. And I want to be very clear and very upfront right now that I do not believe that any church that teaches that if you give, God will give you things back, I do not believe that's biblical. But there is a spirit, there is a theology of reciprocity, of the, of the reaping what we sow. If you go into uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, or not 1 Corinthians, the G- book of Galatians chapter 6, the Bible's very clear that we will reap what we sow. As a matter of fact, Paul in that book says, don't be fools, God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. But let's be honest, Paul was a very generous person on all levels, wasn't he? He pretty much gave up everything for God and the church and the community. 
And he was never considered a wealthy man. As a matter of fact, he suffered greatly throughout his life. His blessings, the reciprocity, the getting what he gave, was in his spiritual blessings. That was in what he got to see was being done through God's church because of the work he was doing. Let's face it. There aren't many people that can claim they're more spiritually mature than Paul. Paul's blessing was because his life aligned so closely to that of God's will. So, uh, talking about Paul, let's open our Bibles and look at 1 Timothy 6. I want you to see what Paul has to teach us here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 17. Chapter 6. Verse 17, and I want you to notice what Paul says about generosity specifically. So 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 17, Paul says this, Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Isn't that an interesting passage Uh, An interesting teaching that Paul gives us. Let's look at this verse by verse. Go back to verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You may be sitting there and saying, but wait, I'm not rich. I would contrast that by saying, yes, you are. Do you know that in our current age, the poorest American has more resources and money than the wealthiest person in 80% of the known world today? In other words, you go to most countries around the world... And even the poorest person would have more than most people in those countries. And I've been to all parts of the world, and I can tell you quite assuredly that that is a fact. I've experienced it firsthand. The fact is, is we as Americans are rich. Period. End of story. We are the richest nation on the planet. We are more blessed financially and physically than any nation that is on this world. And so you may sit there and say, well, I'm not rich. Yeah, compared to your fellow American, you may not be wealthy. But compared to the 80% of the rest of the population of the world, you are a millionaire, no matter what your financial or socioeconomic status in America is. So this passage that we're reading today applies to all of us because we're Americans. That's just the way it is. And let's come to terms with that. So what is this saying? Well, first off, verse 17 says, we should not place our faith in our things or our wealth. 
And guys, this is, this is common to all of us, isn't it? We put faith in what we can get for ourselves. Well, I've got a job and I can go make money, so I'm going to put faith in that. And then when the bills get tight, that's when we start praying, right? And so the idea here is that we should never put our faith in money, which comes and goes and kind of goes up and down, right? Many of us in this room, many of you in this room learned in 2007, 8, and 9 that wealth is fleeting when you lost money. I didn't have any money in 2007, 8, and 9. And so I... <laughs> but money comes and goes. And sometimes the coming and going of those finances are outside of our control. But our faith in God will never let us down. Hear me on that. We are here for a fleeting moment. This world, your existence, your life on this planet is a grain of sand to all the grains on the face of the earth. It's minuscule. It's nothing. And the God of eternity is forever, and He will always be there for you. He will never let you down. So our faith is in Him. Not in our bank account, not in our financial portfolio, not in the reliability of our car, or for our kids or grandkids to, to step up if things get tight, or flip the coin, our parents or our grandparents, to step up if things get tight. Our faith is in our eternal provider, God the Father. Look at verse 18 now. Verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. You see, we're supposed to be not rich in money. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with having resources. But our wealth should then be reflected by what we do with our wealth and with our resources and with our time and with the things that God has blessed us with. If we sit and do nothing for the kingdom with the resources that that kingdom has given us, then we are being terrible stewards of God and His blessings. So be rich in good deeds. Be willing to share. Be generous with everything. You see, you get what you give. If you give the minimum, you get the minimum. And again, I'm not talking about financial prosperity. I'm talking about if you want to grow in God, if you want to be spiritually mature, one of the things that has to come with that is a spirit of giving in all areas. And I'm going to clearly define that towards the end of my message. So we are called to be a people of generosity. Not only that, we're supposed to be giving with a good attitude. If you go and read 2 Corinthians 9, you'll find that it says, God loves a cheerful giver. If you give because you have to give and you grumble about it, you're missing the point. Generosity should be tied to joy. Joyous generosity. That's what we're called to do and live. Now look with me at the last verse, 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly 
life. You see, we're called to not store up treasure here. Again, there's nothing wrong with wealth, and there's nothing wrong with making sure that you provide for your kids and your grandkids and for generations to come after you financially. There's nothing wrong with that. But our treasure should be laid up for eternity, for our coming age, for our eternal existence. Who are you leading to Jesus so that they can be a part of the eternity that you're going to get to be a part of? Who are you influencing closer to Jesus Christ? Who are you leading to the life-changing hope of Jesus? Generosity is a part of that. Generosity is part of how we show the world around us that life-changing hope. We have to be generous. But I want you to notice the last line of verse 19. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What do you think Paul means there by taking hold of the life that is truly life? You're not living until you're generous. That's what Paul means in this passage. He says if you want to truly live life, if you truly want to squeeze every bit out of this life on this earth, generosity has to be a major part of how you live. Generosity is such a key element of who we are as followers of Jesus. You see, God designed you to be generous. And it's only because of our sin nature that we're not. Sin destroys our generosity. Sin wants us to hold on and be stingy with things. But Jesus did not design us. He wants us to overcome that stinginess. And He wants us to be generous. You will never know true life in Christ if you're not generous. That's what Paul promises here in 1 Timothy 6. True life will be experienced when we embrace the joyous generosity that we're made for. So, how does Jesus want us to be generous? I'm going to give you three things. There's there's dozens of ways that we can be generous, but I'm going to give you three big ones. The first one is obvious. It's in our giving. Every single one of us in this room have resources that we can give. Whether it's finances, whether it's some accessibility to some resource that you have that someone else needs, you have something that you can give. James talks about knowing the good that we ought to do and not doing it is James's definition of sin. And so when we see that we have something that someone else needs, we're called to go give that. What did Jesus say about knowing that your brother needed a coat and not giving it to him? If you have a coat and you know your brother needs a coat, then you're not living the will of God. And so we're called to be generous with our stuff, whether that's money or clothes or resources or access to something that you can give someone access to. Whatever that looks like, we're called to be generous with our physical things. It just is what it is. Second thing that we're called to be generous in is with the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. We're supposed to be generous with love, with peace, with patience, with kindness and goodness. 
with faithfulness and gentleness and with self-control. When you're a person of love, when you're a person of peace, when you're a person of kindness in a world today where kindness is hard to find, people will notice. People will take notice of the way you're different because you live out the fruit of the Spirit and you're generous with that fruit. So be generous with the way you live your life day in and day out. The third thing that we are called to be generous with is with our time. And I talked about this last week. Uh, and I, I want to say a couple things first and then I'll let me just say it. We are called to give our time. And we as Americans, our culture has taught us and driven us to fill every moment of our day of every week, Right? You have to structure out your day. I got to get up at this time in the morning. I got to get ready. I got to go to work. I'm going to work all day. And when I get home, I've got this and this and this and this and this and this and this to do. Where's your time for God and others? We have to find a way to be generous with the time that we give to those around us. We have to be generous with the time that we give to God. Guys, I've, I've spoken about that extensively in this entire series. Talking about setting aside time intentionally, scheduling it if you have to. Put reminders in your devices to go off so that you remember to spend time reading God's Word and praying and, and doing the things that are called to do so that you can be spiritually fed and spiritually strong. We have to give our time. But we also have to give our time to others. Give our time to God's work through His church body. We have to be generous with our time. I can't tell you how many stories I have in my personal life where somebody took time out of their day to help me in a time of need. From little needs to big needs. And I can remember all of those times because they're impactful. They speak something to the people around us when we willingly sacrifice our time generously for them. So, are you a generous person? Let me ask a question. Are you looking to justify giving less or are you looking for opportunities to give more? Well, the Bible just says I'm supposed to give 10%. Well, actually, in the New Testament, they gave their 10% and then sold everything they weren't using in that moment for his church. I'm not saying go sell everything. What I'm saying is, is the minimum is not what God's asking. Let's stop thinking about what we have to do to get by, and let's start thinking about what we can do to blow this world up for Jesus. Your generosity and my generosity can change this world. Now let me come back to the thing I said I was going to say. I will tell you right now, I am very proud of this church and its generosity. We are a generous church. Let me just come right out and say that. This church does so much for so many people. Just this past week, this church uh, was presented with an opportunity to assist a church planter in his church in a time of need, and this church immediately jumped in and helped that church plant. Guys, I am so 
proud of the generosity that this church gives. I spoke last week about serving, and I told you, fill out a Connect card or come talk to me if you're interested in serving. I have so many Connect cards that I now have to figure out how to get in touch with all of you. You're so generous, and I want to say thank you for that. But I think we still have to be reminded of it from time to time. Are you a person of generosity? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, thank you. We want to thank you first off for the ways that you have blessed us. You have blessed us so much. If there's nothing else to thank you for, we thank you for your son Jesus. If we had no physical means to take care of ourselves, if everything in our life was gone, you would never leave us alone without Jesus in our lives. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the generosity that you showed us by sacrificing your one and only son so that we could be saved. So Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we pray that we would be a people of generosity. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.